Well, this week, um, I'll have to tell y'all, it's been a hard week for me. My, my friend and my mentor, her name was Pam, passed away suddenly this week. And so I went to her funeral. And um, it's different when you go to a funeral as just a friend than as the pastor. And I, I know that one of the things that was the saddest for me is not just that I wouldn't have Pam around anymore, um, but her mother, she took care of her mother. And so to see her mother coming up the aisle and to extend a shaking hand to her daughter's casket and to just cry, it was almost overwhelming for me how sad it was. And in the midst of this, I, I remember this passage that um, has been meaningful to me in times like that. And I wanted to share it with you because I know that for some of us, we're still very much in the midst of all that's going on in the fire. And that is... Um, just as sad, I think, as a, and as real of a grieving as a loss of someone to lose um, this piece of our land, to lose our homes, and to try to help rebuild. And then I know that for many others, that, that may be um, a less of an issue, but there are still places in our lives where we have a lot of grieving that maybe we're not doing or that maybe we could, or maybe we've just given up. And so I wanted to, I wanted to read from you uh, from the book of Ezekiel, from Ezekiel chapter 37. And um, just then I'm going to explain who Ezekiel was talking to and how this might speak to us today. So hear the word of the Lord. The Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel, and I was carried by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I am going to put breath in you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as a complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover over their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd invite you to just stick your finger in here, because we're going to come back to this if you have your Bibles out. And if you're longing for a Bible and don't have one, there's usually one in the seat in front of you if you wanted to grab one. So let me explain this to you, or if you don't have a seat in front of you, it's underneath. Um, let me explain to you what was going on here. What was going on is these are, these are the last days of the nation of Judah. So God had said to the people when they came out of Egypt, I'm going to make you into a nation. You will be God's people. You will be this city on a hill, a light to the world. Of all the nations on the earth, Israel, Judah, you're going to be my treasured people. You're going to show what other, pe other people what it means to be God's people. And that worked out fine for a while, but then the people of God started kind of accommodating themselves to other beliefs. 
And so they believed in God, but they also believed in Baal. Or they believed in God, but also Asherah. And so they began to go away, to lead their hearts away from God. And so their nation began to suffer, as they did. And God warned them through prophets and everything that this was not going to lead to their good, that they needed to repent, they needed to turn back to the Lord, they didn't. And so what happened was they were trapped, the people of God were in a great spot, but also a perilous spot. Because up to the north is the nation of Babylon. Before that, it was the nation of Assyria. And if Babylon was bad, Assyria was worse. Assyria was the one that conquered the um, northern tribe or the northern country of Israel. And that's why we have those lost tribes. Because when you got conquered by the Assyrians, nobody heard from you again. They destroyed people groups. My Old Testament professor called them back in the day. She said they were like the Borg. And I had a, like one person say, I get that. But... Um, anyway, if you know Star Trek, Assyria was like the Borg, and they would assimilate you and wipe, wipe the people out. Judah survived that. Babylon came and conquered Assyria. They're up in the north in the yellow area. Judah's down here in the pink, and then down here is Egypt. So Judah was basically on a crossroads between two world powers of the day. Is that a good place to be? No. Because on the right was a desert. You couldn't go that way. On the left there, on the west and the east, is the sea. And so the only way to do trade and everything is going through Judah, or at least nearby. So they were caught in the middle. And what happened is they became subjects of the nation of Babylon. They did not like it. They knew that they were supposed to be God's people. But they became subjects to Babylon. They had to pay a tribute. They had to, you know, be subjected to that king. And so in 597, they said, enough of that. We know that we're supposed to be God's people. God was not telling them to, them to do this, by the way. Um, he was saying, don't do this through his prophets. And they said, you know what? We have a chance at freedom if we align ourselves with Egypt. Isn't that ironic? So they aligned themselves with Egypt, and Egypt went out to fight Babylon, and Egypt was destroyed. And so guess who Babylon came to get right after that? Came to get Judah. And Judah was beaten down. And 10,000 people, 10,000 of the elite, of the great thinkers and of the, the priestly leaders and of all the intelligentsia, 10,000 of the best people in the nation are taken captive. And they're, they leave their home forever and they're marched north into Babylon and they're settled there. Get used to it, Babylon says, this is the price you pay for independence. This is the price you pay for trying to rebel against us. And so Ezekiel's book, much of this prophecy before 37 is written to those people because Ezekiel was one of the captives. And if you want a taste of how terrible they felt, of how beaten down and broken and disappointed and angry and lost they felt, you can read some of these writings and just see. If you want a taste, read Psalm 137. It's one of the most gritty, awful psalms we have, and it came out of this time. And what Ezekiel keeps telling them in this time is they keep hoping for a miracle. They keep hoping without changing their behavior that God is going to miraculously restore Judah. And the, the um, Babylonians have set up a puppet king, Zedekiah, and they're hoping that in a rebellion, Zedekiah will win against the superpower because God will enable him and they will have their nation back and they'll get to go home. And God keeps saying through Ezekiel, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. Jerusalem's going to fall. You need to have peace with me in the midst of this difficulty. Be at peace with me. Return your hearts to me. Find me even in captivity. They have a hard time. So in 588, Zedekiah, less than 10 years later, Zedekiah um, rebels against Babylon. 
and Babylon comes and lays siege to Jerusalem. Well, what happens when they lay siege is they just go around the outer wall of the city and they camp there so that nobody can get in and nobody can get out. And they're just saying, it's your move. And so the people starve to death over two years. They're starving. They run out of supplies. There's, if you read accounts of this time, they turn to cannibalism. It's terrible. It was bad. It gets worse. And finally, when they're so weak, when they're so broken, Babylon moves in. They break through the wall. They loot what's left of the town because they already took a lot of it. And on their way out, they burn it to the ground. This is who Ezekiel is speaking to. People who lost not only their hope, they've lost any home that they ever thought they could go back to. It's gone. And they don't know what to think. And it's right then that God starts saying, let's talk about the hope you do have. Because I have hope for you. And he does this in a strange way. He takes his prophet to this valley of bones. And as I read this, knowing what these people have gone through, it is very easy to see that when you take one of these exiles, one of these captives in Babylon to a valley of bones, they're not going to have to reach real far to say, that's how it feels to be me. That's how it feels to be us right now, that we have been so beaten, we have lost not only the battle, we have lost our lives, we don't know who we are as God's people anymore. And God has Ezekiel walk around there, like get a good look at all of these bones. So this is an ancient battle where the people lost the battle and they lost their lives and their bones have just been laying there. He has Ezekiel walk around and then he asks them a question. Can these bones be living people again? I want you to go there for a minute into that valley of bones. And I want you to walk around. I want you to imagine that God is taking you there today to the valley of the bones. And you're going to walk in that valley and you're going to see them. And you know what? It won't be a stretch for any of us to say what names we would give to them. The person next to you may not know what name you put on it, but you know what name you would put on those bones. The things that you used to be so hopeful about, but you're not anymore. The dreams that you had for yourself or somebody else that you've just given up on. The places where you don't even pray about it anymore. You don't even pray because you don't want to be disappointed by God after so many disappointments. Those bones. And then imagine God standing next to you saying, Can, is there any hope? Can these bones live? I mean, the obvious answer, if you have a skeleton and someone says to you, is there any hope for him? Is no, right? My husband, Kevin, used to work in the emergency room. He was an emergency room nurse, first of all. And I can tell you, if someone brought in a skeleton and said, please, can you save this person? Do you know what they would have done? Hang on just a minute. Psych consult, right? Like, you need to get down here right now because someone has brought in a skeleton to revive. <clears throat> the obvious answer is no. That's why we've given up. That's why we've closed the door. That's why they're in that valley. That's why it hurts, because we don't think they can come alive again, because there's no reason to think it. Except for this. When God asks Ezekiel, can these bones be brought back to life? Ezekiel knows that there is someone standing next to him who can see something more than what is and what he could do that God is standing next to him. 
And so there might be a different answer. So his answer isn't like, sure. And it's not, no way, it's maybe. He says, well, you know the answer to that, Lord. You know if actually there is some hope here. You know. You could tell me. I don't know. Doesn't look like it. And that's when God says, okay, that's, that's all God needs to begin working. Maybe. God doesn't need a resounding yes for us. God just needs to come into that space with us to, to stand by our side and to hear us say, maybe. Maybe with you here something could happen. And so he has Ezekiel do what? What does he do? He speaks. What was his job? He was like a preacher, okay? So it's like asking me, like, some people get up to talk and they're like, right? I get up to talk, I'm like, let's go. It's what I do. I like to be in front of people talking. To ask Ezekiel to talk is to ask him to do something he naturally does. So God doesn't ask something crazy of him. He says, do what it is I've gifted you to do. Speak to them. And as Ezekiel speaks, this rattling fills the valley. And the bones start going with the right bone. They start connecting together. And as soon as all the skeletons are whole again, then they start remaking themselves from the inside, the sinews and the muscles, and then finally the skin. And then all of these people are laying there before Ezekiel's eyes. Now I want to ask you, if, if Ezekiel had gone to this valley and he'd been with God, and there were the bones, and it feels like how we feel right now, but he knows he's with God, and, Ezekiel, and God says, hey, Ezekiel, can something happen here? And Ezekiel's like, maybe. A lot of times, our first mistake is we don't let God into that valley. Or we don't realize he's standing next to us, so we give up. That's our first mistake. But then once we realize that God is in there with us, we think maybe he wants us to bring the people back to life, Right? Maybe it's my job to bring those people back to life. And so a mistake would have been if Ezekiel would have run around, well, God said, God asked me the question, and I said maybe, and so maybe now I need to make it happen. And if Ezekiel would have tried, it would have been humorous, right? Imagine if he would have run around and been like, okay, the leg bone's connected, to, and he would have put them all back together and be like, hmm, going to have a hard time making the muscles, but he could have covered them up with rags, right? Strategically placed here and there to where if you squinted and you were really far away, it might, no, it would just look a little less dead. That's why we sometimes want to give up, is because we try to put the skeletons back together again and say, here's the best I can do with it. God can do way better than the best that I can do with it. We just have to have the faith to let God pull them back together, doing what it is we do best, whatever that is. Whatever it is we can bring, then God multiplies that, makes it powerful. The people come back together, but they don't have any breath in them. The word breath is the word ruach in Hebrew. It's the word for spirit. So when in the beginning, God's spirit, the ruach, is hovering over the waters. God breathes into people the ruach. It's our being. So they're made again, but they don't have a spirit. And so Ezekiel calls to them when God says, speak to them and call the ruach, call the wind, call the breath. You'll see that they use every different word. Um, the winds, the breath. Um, the life in them. And so they come back to life and they stand up. This great army. I, um, every time I drive down Paleface Ranch Road, I feel a taste of what these exiles, 
exiles felt like. It feels like we've lost something. It feels like we're at a funeral for our land. And when you go talk to people and they've lost their homes, it's so heartbreaking. Everything gone. Um, the land broken. And you just drive out there and you almost have to put up some kind of a wall so it doesn't hurt so much. And one of the worst things is to go visit a house I visited before. I, when I first got here and I was getting to know the community, I went to David and Jean Ann Thompson's house. I went to their house. And I parked under this live oak tree and it was gracious and their front porch was shady and we sat in their house and we looked outside. All that rain had just come. And it was so promising to look outside. It was so hopeful. And I've driven back to their house and all the grass is burned, and the trees are black, those trees that shaded us. Um, all the leaves, if there's any left, they're blackened, and their home, their beautiful home is rubble. There's just a few bricks standing, and they're, I was with them, and they're digging through to just find a few things if they can. And it's so heartbreaking, and we sat there and we prayed, and we cried together, and as I leave, I'm still crying for them. But the thing that reminds me of this scripture is that Jean Ann told me that day that I was sitting there and we were praying, she said, Laura, you know, there's an arborist that was out at the country club. Somebody who looks at trees to kind of assess, they have a lot of money at the country club, and so all their trees are insured. And so the arborist came out to tell them what the loss is for the trees so that they can get, replant them. But David got the arborist to come by their home. And she said, it was, she said, Laura, he told us that these trees over here, they are gone and we should cut them down. And that one over there, that pretty one, that one's gone. But he said, those over there, and she pointed to trees that were totally black. He said, those will live. He said, those will live. He said we're going to have to wait and be patient and that it will need to rain again. But no matter how long that takes, they, they'll come back alive. He said it will happen slowly, but we need to be patient with them because those trees will live. And looking at those trees, there is no way I can tell the trees that will live from the trees that don't have any hope. But you see, the reason Jean Ann is not going to cut those trees down, is going to wait for those trees to come back to life, is because an expert stood at her side and said, those trees will live, even though they don't look like it. There is hope for those trees. And at that funeral with my friend, um, I'm going to miss her a lot. But what we were reminded of in that service is that she picked the songs, and they were all songs of hope. She picked the scriptures, and it was to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that my friend Pam is okay, even when the worst thing happens, even when she loses the battle for her life, Christ will gather her up. God says that's not the end. That's not the end. And so what I want y'all to hear is I want you to hear this scripture today, and I want us to remember I want us to remember this moment. If you haven't been down there and looked at how terrible it looks, I want you to go. And I want you to look. Because it won't stay that way. It won't stay that way. Green things are going to start coming up again. 
And trees that look dead, some of them are going to come back to life. And homes are going to be rebuilt because we are going to help that happen. And that piece of our land that has been broken will be restored. And when we see it restored, all of us will remember that there is nothing so broken, so hopeless, so dead in our lives that God can't bring it back. This is what he says to Ezekiel in that valley as the army of what was dead stands and faces him. Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old dry bones and all our hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's different. Oh, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to rise again. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will return to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we look at our land and as we see all of the loss, that you would remind us that that is not the last word with you. That even when we look at the debris in our hearts and other people might laugh to think it could come back to life again, they might think we're even crazy. That you don't know that you don't say that. That you stand next to us, the expert in our midst, and you point to things and say, That will live, and that will live, and there is always hope. And so help us, Lord, to believe that, that there is always hope with you, that there is nothing that is so far gone that you cannot bring it to life again, that you cannot restore it, that you cannot restore us. And I pray that you'd help us to be a people who look at the reality but see beyond it, see what you can do in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name.